Hello, listeners. This is Money Chris from Too Many Captains. The Derek Duvall Show is proud to offer family-friendly quality shows. However, for this episode, some mild language may be used, such as fudge or heck, maybe even a few shazbots. Listener discretion is advised. Powered by Transistor FM. It's the Derek Duvall Show. A show about the best of humanity with guests from all professions and walks of life. Pop culture, interesting news, and hot takes. Now, here's the number one host in your hearts, Derek Duvall. Welcome to episode four of the Derek Duvall Show. I am absolutely overjoyed that you have decided to take one hour out of your life to spend with me. Believe me, I know that time is a valuable currency, and I promise you an amazing show. For those of us that have been with us since day one, we have some absolutely groundbreaking news that as of this recording is only one day old. Our good friend Stephen Alexander, who has been kept alive via dialysis treatment, had this message to share with the world, which I have been authorized to share. Well, hi there, everybody. This is uh, 3.30, about, on Friday. And I just want to let everybody know that the kidney is a match, and they offered it to me. I'm going up to the hospital and hopefully having another kidney transplant. And I just want to thank everybody for their support. It's been a rough time, and... uh I hope things go well with this, and I just appreciate all the care and support you've all shown me over the years. Wow. Whoever the donor was, all everyone can say is you gave a great man a chance to see his children grow up. We cannot bless you enough. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, we will dive right into things. For the first time, I'm going to be answering some fan questions. I'm going to be offering a historic thought on life. And for those who are musically inclined and have had us go on and on and on about having punk legend Chad Miller on the show, well, today is your day. Due to the length of the interview, we have decided to split it into two parts so that we can preserve the absolutely incredible conversation that we had. The second part will air on November the 18th, 2020. So let's dive right on in. And now, Derek Duvall's Thoughts on Life. CBS News, and we are coming on the air with breaking news at this hour. CBS News projects... The Fox News decision desk can now project. After four long, tense days, we've reached a historic moment in this election. We can now project the winner of the presidential race. That Joe Biden... That former Vice President Joe Biden... CNN projects Joseph R. Biden Jr. is elected the 46th president of the United States, winning the White House and denying President Trump a second term. The former vice president in his third run for the highest office, pulling off a rare defeat of a sitting commander-in-chief. With this victory, Kamala Harris is set to become the first woman and the first person of color to be the vice president. Again, CNN projects Joe Biden will become the 46th president of the United States. My thoughts on life today are one of the incredible moments in the United States history. All over the world, there are celebrations that the most polarizing leader of our time, Donald Trump, has been voted out of office after one term. Now, I know this is upsetting for some, as with every election, there must be a disappointed side. 
I will admit that Joe Biden was not my first choice for president. After four years of bullying, false information, and seeing a country ready to tear itself apart with an us-versus-them approach, hopefully we can begin to heal the divide in the United States. Now, I am not an idiot. I know that must sound too easy. You can trace the divide of this country all the way back to 1865, with many in the South who still resent Northern aggression. I have to remind myself all the time that hatred and racism is not a trait we are born with. It is learned. So what now? We still have a while to go until January the 20th of 2021. What will President Trump do or not do in the meantime? What does a post-Trump America even look like? Joe Biden tonight said in his speech, he spoke that we no longer need to be enemies. We need to talk to our neighbors and listen to them regardless of their ideologies. Women all over the United States saw the first female elected to the second highest office in the land. Like friends of mine on Facebook have been saying in the popular meme, make sure to wear shoes, ladies, there's glass everywhere. Women this evening held their daughters tight and told them that now nothing is impossible. What measures are the Biden administration willing to take to finally rein in the COVID-19 crisis? We will find out in a few weeks. But for now, guys, let's continue to do our part. Wear masks, sanitize your hands, and maintain social distancing wherever possible. And now, a very special presentation of Derek Duvall Answers Your Questions. Derek Duvall Answers Fan Questions. So a couple of weeks ago, I had the idea that many fans don't know a lot about me. So on Twitter, I had them write in some groundbreaking questions, and I am prepared to answer them. All right, let's see here. All right. This one comes from Beaver Does Movies. They're a podcast that follows us, and I believe they do a great job. They ask, when eating ice cream, do I use a big or little spoon? Thank you for your question there. It's a good one. To answer that, if I am eating out of a pint carton, a large spoon. If I'm eating a M&M Sonic Blast from Sonic, a small spoon with a really long handle. Hope that clears that one up. All right, let's see here. All right, this next one comes from Bring on the Weird. <laughs> well, challenge accepted, my friend. The tips of my thumbs are double-jointed and go in all kinds of directions. Spooky and weird, right? Anyway, your question is, let's say everything was in order around our solar system and you had the choice of having a firstborn child on any planet. Which one would you choose, Jupiter or Venus? Hmm, Wow. Okay, while I pay close attention to most of the stuff that comes out of NASA and SpaceX, and I am very sure that neither planet is conditioned to support human life, however, if I was forced to choose to have a child in the orbit of the planet, it would have to be Jupiter. The planet is just too cool not to look at. Uh, also handy if you look at it through a telescope, powerful enough to see it, it's incredible. And it's also the largest of any planet. I looked it up, and a solar day, of the, or in this case, a Jovian day, lasts exactly 9 hours, 55 minutes, and 30 seconds, which throws the concept of how we measure time and, and also how we age all to hell. Uh, I hope that answers your question. Our next question comes from the Midwest Meltdown. Let's see here. Strawberry or grape jam on the peanut butter and jelly? Well, <laughs> Here's a bombshell. I don't like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I know, right? But if I had to choose, it would be strawberry. Okay, this is interesting. Our next question comes in the form of a request. Let's see. 
Derek Duval, you are very great. 100,000 pesos to come to Santa Poco, put on show. The infamous El Guapo. Hmm. Well, that seems more than generous, but I don't do public appearances. Thank you so much for the offer, though. All right, let's see. Uh, all right, this next one comes from an old friend of mine and one of our dearest supporters. Okay, Rose, let's see. What are your opinions on ship toasters? <laughs> well, let me tell you, they are a reservoir of joy, and like the mighty water cooler in any office, they are a great way to reunite long-lost friends in the most incredible of circumstances. I hope that answered your question. Well, that's it for this round of questions. We will do this again in the near future. You keep listening and poking my brain, and I'll continue to bring you unparalleled joy with my answers. Okay, we're going to take a little bit of a break now. We're going to listen to a few commercials, and then we'll be right back with part one of our in-depth look at Mr. Chad Malone. You will not want to miss this. We'll be right back. mistake you're making the mistake flint anyone can have an accident but lying makes it worse but mom will be upset she'll be even more upset if you lie and how would you feel if billy got punished face up to what you've done don't take the easy way out we'll tell her we did it remember it's better to tell the truth and that's no lie now we know and knowing is half the battle Hey everyone, I'm Michelle. And I'm Tom. And we are Apocalypse in Review. We're a comedic podcast that rates and reviews movies in the apocalypse genre. We run a synopsis, play some games, and also have commentary from us watching the movie. <gasps> dun dun dun. Ah, uh, he did. If you enjoy movies and lighthearted podcasts, come check us out on your favorite podcast platform. Thanks for listening. Well, that's that. I think my job interview went pretty well. That's awesome. What do you think was the hardest part? Probably selling myself like I'm the cure for some stupid disease. Did you remember to send a thank you card to the recruiter? A thank you card? I have no idea what to even put, let alone where to get a pretty decent looking card. Man, what am I going to do? Relax. Go to the Crafted Rose, frippery for all occasions. There you will find a plethora of excellent cards to choose from. Wow. Hitting the website up now. My partner will love the custom wreaths, and I could totally use a new notebook. Thanks for showing me the missing link in my life. You're welcome. Now get that thank you card ordered and in the mail. The Crafted Rose. Frippery for all occasions. Find the shop on www.fripperybyrose.com. Use the promo code DuvalFans20 for a 20% discount on all items for fans of this show. It's the Dad in a Rock podcast. This is Sean. And this is Chris. Join us every week as we give you the dad's point of view on pop culture. And stumbling our way through fatherhood. <laughs> dad jokes. Star Wars. Streaming. Tech news. Movie news. Listen to lifelong pals tell stories from past and present. Cruise with us into the cheesy every week on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and other podcast platforms. And as always, find past episodes and links to our social media pages on dadnarock.com. This is my life!
Welcome back to the Derek Duvall Show. We are very happy to be joined by Tulsa urban legend Chad Malone, lead singer of such bands as The Shame, Larkin, and Senior Fellows. How are you, sir? Uh, pretty good, man. Just, you know, it's a beautiful day out. How are you uh, handling the COVID-19 crisis? Yeah, that's a... Uh... <laughs> I, I guess... In regards to I've not been sick um, pretty well, you know, I mean, it makes everybody a bit mental. And I've been I've been lucky in the sense that my job is considered an essential worker, I guess, and because uh, I work for a liquor distributor. And so ours is considered grocery and I haven't ha- it has not affected my work life at all. It's just, you know, it's made me a little crazy not being able to play shows and and rehearse regularly and whatnot so but you know i mean that's everybody so i'm certainly lucky in the sense i've got the job going and i've got my health going as well as i don't abuse it with alcohol you know what i mean so yeah, you're much luckier than some other people that we know so yeah i'm not it's not a complaint you know my my only real struggles are more mental through all this you know just the isolation and realizing that i'm a lot more social than i let on i guess would you say that you're an extrovert or would you be an introvert uh, probably a combination of both. I have extroverted moments, that is for sure. If there's such thing as an extroverted introvert, that might be it. Where I I have no problem at all, and I prefer to go to the pub on my own half the time. You know what I mean? Go to movies alone, go to dinner alone. And even then, there's a dialogue going on in my head. And so if someone, pardon me, comes up to talk to me or something, I feel like they're interrupting a conversation that they don't realize I'm already having. It's weird, but... That's where I kind of am. Would you say being an extrovert, I mean, does that make you more of a successful uh, performer? I don't know. I mean, successful certainly not in a large, you know, grand scheme of things. But, I mean, I, I've, I've had a lot of good shows and I've had a good time. And so being able to turn on a part of your personality, and that's why I think as far as to get overly analytical, I would guess that I'm probably a combination of both in the sense that when I'm playing, yes – you it's it's I'm not saying I'm playing a role per se, but I'm only tapping into a certain part of my personality and being what I what I think suits the performance, you know, loud and boisterous and and whatnot. But then you get me after the gig and after we've all had our beers and said goodnight and I need to go decompress and sit alone for hours and shut off. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, for me, performing is, is basically tapping into uh, you know, it's like you've got all these files in your head of different aspects of who you are, and I just only allow one to open up when I'm performing. Mm. Does that make sense? Makes that makes perfect sense, actually. That's kind of like how I do with this. It's like you know the personality that I have to convey to be a you know put on a productive show and sure and so forth. Yeah, I get that totally. All right, so I got a question. How many bands are you are you currently involved in? Currently, is in active. You would say two. Um, and that would be Larkin and the Shame, which ironically now is mostly the same members, um, only because when one person leaves one band, the easiest replacement is from the other band because they're also very talented. Officially in four, I mean, you could say five, but you know, that's really stretching the definition of the term in, like currently in. Um, like, uh, like Bring Down the Hammer, which was James and I from Senior Fellows, this is our previous band. We never officially broke up, and we always talked that maybe we'll go do it again. But that's been, you know, going on eight years or since we've done anything. So 
we're we're not broken up, but we're not really a band, if that makes sense. And uh, Senior Fellows, same thing. After our last tour and record, which, gosh, three years ago? I'm not even sure. Um, in that wheelhouse, we uh, our drummer got fired, and we did not replace him. And that, this was more James's band. I was, for all the bands that I've started and formed on my own, this was a band I joined after they had already established themselves. So it was very much James's project. After after bringing in the hammer, kind of quit playing. He wanted to play more just heavy, slower stuff. Started Senior Fellows, and it was his project with somebody else. And then when they went through a couple of singers, I ended up uh, being their lyric writer. And then when they lost their last singer before me, I just took over singing. So at this point, if ever we play again, James has my number. But it's on, it's pretty much on his shoulders. And with the last band, which would be the kids who never learned how to color inside of the lines, <laughs> we started in, believe it or not, uh, 1991, I believe. So 30 years ago. Yeah. And uh, we haven't played in years, but all of the members will once a blue moon dust it off and do it again. It's kind of like the original Alice Cooper band, you know, that's like... <laughs> maybe so. <laughs> we uh I mean, we all enjoy the band and we enjoy the music and we we get on with each other just fine. It's nothing weird or personal or anything. It's just, you know, I mean, we've been doing the same songs for so long and it, it's fun and it's quirky with what it is cuz it's more of just a uh, good time band, you know. We'll cross dress when we play and do these ridiculous shows or sometimes we'll just play them as a punk band. It's a lot of fun, but we haven't done it in years. But so we're officially still a band, but you know, the only bands that really spend any time on currently would be the Shame and uh, and Larkin. Although I am I'm doing another project, but it's essentially with the Shame members, but it's not the same thing. And I, I we could exp- talk about that later. <laughs> be, it, would it be like a the Shame featuring Chad Malone or no? No, it would be the opposite. It would be a it's basically a project. I'm I'm basically writing a hardcore record. Hmm. Um, because it's it's music that I played for most of my life, like not like newer hardcore, not like this slow down weird heavy riff thing, more like old school '80s hardcore, like I used to play in Brother Inferior and Assembly of God. And I just miss it, but I don't really want to form a band, but I want to write a few songs, which is what I've been doing. So I asked the Shame members, who are all kind of you know into punk rock and hardcore anyway. I was like, would you if I write these songs, would you guys mind recording them with me? I don't. I mean, maybe play a show. I'm not really concerned about it. But it's more like something that I wanted to do. And they're the best musicians I know around. And we're already a band. And they like the idea because they like what I used to do. And, and we all get on. And it's it'll be a little more politically minded than like the shame stuff. So I don't want to associate it particularly with the shame, even though it'll be the same dudes, if that makes any sense. So basically kind of a kind of a rage against the machine or if you really want to go. Well, well not 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 style wise, mm-hmm. but maybe similar pol- politics. All right. Do you remember the uh, 80s political group that was uh, it was absolutely hilarious that they were considered like uh, a, a pre formation to the um, to uh, rage or something like that? Uh, Frankie goes to Hollywood. I remember everyone was saying <laughs> that they're they're like, oh, they're so edgy. They're they're so political. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Two tribes. Welcome to the two tribes. Like when they were like, welcome to the. There was like there was a cover of the Edwin Star War. I do remember that. Yeah, that was great. Um, I had I think I had the 12 inch of that when it came out. 
Um, because it had it had two tribes on it. Yeah, yeah, the Annihilation version. That I couldn't tell you, dude. No, I, mean, I, I have. No, I, I, I do time. have that. I do have that. It's it's a really really solid track. Yeah, I mean that that that's a as far as taking dance music and making it edgy, <laughs> you know, um, which which ironically, years later, I would think that that would have been more a precursor for what was called industrial in the nineties. Yeah, you know, because they basically bands like Ministry and KMFDM took the groove stuff and added metal guitar and made it ugly. And so it had that politics to it and darkness to it, but definitely a lot heavier. I mean, I used to, I, I appreciate a lot of those Wax Tracks bands from back then. Not necessarily my style per se, but they put on a hell of a show and there's a lot of, you know, it was good heavy music and it was something totally different than what was going on. So yeah, I, I remember, I mean, we're, you know, I'm 50, you know, I was growing up in the, you know, in the 70s and 80s. So I, I remember a lot of that. That I mean, that takes me to our next question. It's like, when were you first like interested in music or writing or even playing? I think it, it's kind of funny. We, we will just bypass a part of the conversation saying a lot of my home life was not pleasant as it is for most people. So not to get in any detail, there was a lot of early sibling conflict between me and my brother, and uh, who I adore. I mean, we're, you know, any past grievances have been, you know, I mean, that's when we were children, and children make bad decisions. Anyway, uh, it goes to, you know, home life was what it was, and music, I always felt like, was the only thing that I could trust to be honest with me, and I don't know, it, it, it spoke to me in a way that nothing else did and it, it opened my heart where I could, where I felt like I could be myself and not be beaten up or humiliated for it and then I remember my brother getting a guitar and it didn't he didn't do anything with it I was the one that actually started picking on it and trying to figure it out and uh and became kind of fascinated with it and I also joined uh like you do you know school band and all that got fascinated with music theory and whatnot and uh you know when I when I found bands when I was about 12 you know in like 82 you know you MTV's rolling around and you you see bands like Iron Maiden you know being played and that anger and that energy just woke me up to a whole new world and way of doing things and I loved it so much and felt a kinship with it so much that I would just sit in class and write the lyrics to the songs in order per album. You know, I mean, I would just, all by memory, and just became obsessed with it and what they were saying and everything about them. And and uh, and that became true with all the metal bands I was getting into at the time. You know, early Metallica was around then, too, about 83, the first record. And it wasn't just the anger of the music. It was the uh, the anger behind the message. And uh, And like I said, I felt like there was a kinship there. And I took, uh, you know, as I was going through school, I got more and more into it, started joining bands. And uh, it's funny because my first band, we were named off the street we practiced at. We were called Midway, um, which is a pretty decent name for, a, you know, a band, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, because I remembered the movie from the 70s, you know, and all that, or the miniseries or whatever it was. Anyhow, and we were a cover band, and it's funny because the first band I ever sang for, which was Midway, I got kicked out because I couldn't sing. And go ahead, and that's all I've done ever since. But <laughs> but they weren't wrong. They weren't wrong. I mean, I, my voice still isn't great, and it was a 15-year-old trying to sing Van Halen and Led Zeppelin and Iron Maiden and whatnot, you know what I mean? There's a very funny story in our family history. Uh, my grandfather was the he was the entertainment director for the Working Men's Club in the Valleys, where where, where we're from. 
And uh, around 1964 uh, or five, there was a young man who came into the uh, into the into the con club and said, uh, "I'd like to perform. I'd like to audition. You know, be a be a staple in the house. I get a get yourself a residency." And so uh, my grandfather said, "All right, get him on the stage. See what you see what you got." And this guy, he came out there and he he gave it his his all, his damnedest. He gets pulled off the stage. My grandfather put one pound in his pocket, which back then was a lot of money. Sure. He says, young Thomas, you can't sing for shit. Get out of my club. <laughs> Do you know who that man was? I, I don't know. Tom Jones. Oh, uh, I figured that's where you're going because I knew he yep. was Welsh. Yep. <laughs> so it was Tom Jones. And then a couple years later, he put out What's New Pussycat and It's Not right. Usual and set the world on fire. But yeah, that's our, that's my little connection to, that's awesome. to Tom Jones. And there's a funny PS to that is a couple – God, about two, three years ago, I took my wife to see Tom Jones. Right. Um, and he, we ended up having a conversation um, on stage. Uh, I didn't tell him that story, but it was, uh, it was, it was actually kind of a surreal moment. That uh, that's brilliant. The grandfather and the gra- and the grandson both got to interact with uh, t- Sir Tom Jones. Oh so. yeah, I mean the dude's a legend. I oh, mean, he's a classic. Know. Yeah, and women still throw their underwear at him. It's even at his age. So. Ah, that's that's what we're all going for. <laughs> As, have women thrown their underwear at you on stage? <laughs> Hell no. No. <laughs> First of all, half the time there's no women there. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, in the punk rock world, uh, we'll just say life is a lot different. Fair enough. And uh, especially in like you know playing American hardcore, you know it was all about the anger and all that. You know, I mean, sure, of course, you're on tour and you know you're a young guy and you're full of yourself and you hope to meet you know, lovely women wherever you're going and all that crap. But, you know, you realize as those years go by, that's all just fleeting and nonsense. And, and you know, you look back on your prior self and all you can do is go, you know, roll your eyes and, you know, and move on, you know. But, uh, but yes, that is, that, that is brilliant. I, I've never seen Tom Jones play. I've only listened to him. So, but you know, I can very much appreciate that. At his age, I will say this: he he is he is very 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 careful about his voice. Sure, as you should be. Uh, and yeah. he's very very um, he's preserved it very well for his right. age. If you, if you want to have a proper career, you know, in music like that, and I'm not talking about like my level where I'm just playing shows when I can. I mean, you like your Bruce Dickinsons out there and whatnot. You know, it's it's the same as being like a proper footballer. You know, like Dennis Bergkamp would always talk about. You can extend your career by 10 years if you, you know, don't go crazy when you're 18. You know, you stay fit. You look after yourself because your body, just like Bruce does for his voice, he takes care of his voice. And you treat it from the, you know, when you realize you're, when you're young, you, 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 you treat it with that care and love and respect and realizing that, especially if it's starting to make you money like it does for these, you know, high-paid stars, that if you treat it with that respect it will last you a lot longer and you'll be able to make you know because listen to bruce dickinson still sing yeah he might miss a note every now and again but he still sounds great i i think the biggest culprit uh, if it was an offender list right is ozzy osbourne i yeah, well i, I joe i would say joe elliott as no, well i'm a, i mean i love ozzy i've been a fan i mean we're talking like since the early days yeah my thing about it is is though and there was a documentary that came out a couple years ago about Do- right. ozzy where he had a fight on stage with um uh zach wilde Anyway, oh yeah, I know that name. So, okay, so yeah, anyway, yeah. he's having an argument there, and he's trying to sing "No More Tears," and it's just terrible. He right. can't hit the notes anymore. It, it, he just—it sounds horrible. And Zach Wilde confronts him and says, "Dude, we have got to change the pitch of this song because right. you can't hit those notes anymore." And Ozzy didn't want to hear it. He's like, "Toasty." Right. 
Yeah. And then the other one I can think of is Paul McCartney. Uh, I, yeah, I obviously know a lot of Paul McCartney songs, but I've never been a huge fan per se. But uh, I haven't listened to him try to sing later on. He, but, he uh, so he can hit the melody. But right. there's a, like you if you know the song, if you know any Beatles tracks, Paperback Writer, he tries yeah, to play yeah, yeah. he tries to play that today, and it's just. It, it's, I think he's relying on the backing band more than him to hit those notes that and people should, expect. And you should accept that. You yeah. know, I, I watched a, you know, I mean, I was mentioning Joe Elliott, and, and I like the first Def Leppard records, the, yeah. the rock and roll ones, the real, yeah. you know, hard edge ones, up to Pyromania and all that. Those are those are good records, and they're still classics, you know. And I, I was, you know, just chilling at home, and I saw they were do, doing a live show showing it on some TV channel, whatever, and uh, from like a couple years ago. And I was like, yeah, hey, I'll watch a couple songs, see if they play some of the old ones. And he was trying to hit the high notes on certain parts. Then it sounded awful. And I'm not blaming him for it, but I'm blaming him for the fact that he can't look at himself and change that, you know, and, uh, and, and have somebody else in the band that can hit those notes, back him up, and he can sing the lower pitch, and someone can hit the higher pitch, and it can work. You know, know that your wheelhouse has changed, as they say. And actually, it makes me think of a, a short, short little anecdote. Was uh, not a big fan, but the uh, the Swedish, I think they were Swedish band, Aha from the oh, 80s, yeah. uh, Take On Me. Yeah, anyway, Living Daylights they, is a classic song. Yeah, and they, you know, yeah, Take On Me was like their big one, and they did those. They did a couple of those anyway. And Take On Me especially has that falsetto part right in the middle of it during the chorus, and it's a really high falsetto part. And it's, it's, I mean, when he hit it, it's amazing. And, uh, but I heard him do, they don't do proper aha shows because he knows he can't do it. And he's not going to even try because it would be embarrassing. And, uh, but I saw him do an acoustic set and he changed that pitch. He, he, he sang the song just normally, but when it got to that, he dropped the level and it totally worked, you know, cause he had the common sense to realize age is doing that to your body, you know? And you can still make, you know, if you're a proper musician, you can adjust and do something like that. So. My, that's like I said, I mean, that, I think that's a testament to, can you look at yourself in the mirror? Are you still performing at the, at the standard that your fans expect? Or you phoning it in. Yeah. Exactly. I, I've always said the same thing in regards to what I do. It's like, dude, I know. I mean, I don't sing that well. I sing okay. I can hit pitches most of the time. My voice is more, you know, a combination of, Ronnie Drew meets Luke Kelly. You know, I'd like to sound like Luke Kelly, but I sound more like Ronnie Drew. And uh, for anybody that doesn't know, it's basically a real gravelly voice. You know, it's I get that. But and you could tell, you could come up to me after show and say, "Dude, I don't think you sing that well." But you will never tell me I don't mean it. <laughs> you know, I will give everything I've got, no, what, if good or bad. I'm gonna give everything I got when I play. And if I'm phoning it in then it's time to, you know, hang up the boots, as they say. If this is your first time to see, like, The Shame or seeing Larkin, now, I, I want to put our best foot forward. Um, I want to put on the best show I possibly can. And if and if you walk away and not like what we do, it's not because we didn't give our best. You know, if you just don't like what we do, and I, I can totally respect that. You know, and it's the same with uh, doing set lists and whatnot. Like, when, when I used to tour a lot, you know, I haven't, you know, when I used to tour for like three to six months out of the year, now I only tour three to six days out of the year. And hell, this year I'm not even touring at all, which is fine, no problem. But you know, whenever we would play with uh, several bands and like the tours where I was, we were playing shows every single night for three to six months straight, and uh, we'd play with like three or four other bands. I always told myself that no matter what the band was, I would sit through their first song, and I always go with that saying, 
If you can't win me over with your first song, you're not putting your best foot forward right off the bat, then that's it. And I figure every band should do that. You know, assume that this gig is that guy in the back's first time to experience you. You've got to own it. And like I said, if he walks out the door, then so be it. But it's not because you didn't throw it down. All right, we're going to change gears just for a second now. Now, most people who know you in Tulsa know you're, you're big on the football scene. You go with <laughs> the athletics. <Thank> yeah, <laughs> the athletics. Um, you are with FC Tulsa. And now, you, I, I'm not I've known you for a long time. I know you're, you bleed Arsenal. Yeah. How, um, about, I do, how about, I do love the Arsenal. How did becoming an Arsenal fan, being an American, come about? Uh, oddly enough, it's probably similar to music in the sense that difficult childhood. and not, So I'm an angry little kid, right? I don't really have many friends, and it's difficult at home. And that's fair. You know, like I said, that's more common than not, it seems. But anyway, and so my, my father was one of the people that started soccer in Broken Arrow in 1975, I believe, because we had moved down in 74 from Ohio or via St. Louis, regardless. So anyway, and he had broken his leg playing hockey and decided to take up soccer. And so he started teaching it, and we got more into it as kids. It gave us activities. And so 1979 rolls around, and so we've been active in it, and I'm nine years old at the time. I'm an angry kid, but starting to really get an affinity for this game because I'd been playing it for a few years at that point. And my father also into, I don't know the depth of how it came about, but I do know he was involved in help getting uh, a team from Northern Ireland, Belfast, called the Raven Boys, to do uh, some games over here, like uh, exhibition game against the Roughnecks and maybe play some locals and stuff. And uh, so this was, yeah, 1979. And two of the guys that stayed with us, uh, Rory and Jordy, they were taught, you know, they would talk about the teams that they knew of. And of course, you know, we knew a little bit of soccer from overseas when watching Soccer Made in Germany. So we knew the German league, the Bundesliga, but we really didn't know much about England. And they would tell us, most of them, I, th- I believe, if I remember correctly, were Liverpool fans because, you know, Liverpool had some Irish dudes on the team at the time in the 70s. They, and basically what happened was they gave us pennants and talked about the teams. And the pennant they gave me was an Arsenal one. And, uh, and I'm sitting there looking at this cannon. So I was like, so what you're telling me, it's old English lettering, you know, the old crest, which was a million times better than the current crest. They gave me this pennant for Arsenal, and they're talking about them. Like, everybody hates them. They're really good, though. And their crest, they're called Arsenal, and their crest is a cannon. And I'm like, you're talking to a nine-year-old kid that thinks everybody hates him (laughs) and would love to own a cannon. (laughs) That was like... This speaks to me, uh, and and you know they didn't start showing English league till much later, you know, in like the late '90s, I believe. Uh, Fox Sports World, I think, was it at the time before it changed to Fox Soccer Channel. And immediately, I was gravitated right back to Arsenal. So, and even though those first games I remember seeing us get throttled by United or some stupid shit, it didn't matter. It did not matter. It had nothing to do with how good the team was. It it spoke to me on that childhood level that. That was passed on to me. And so as I started following, you know, which was basically at the earlier years of Wenger, um, and and I just so happened to catch it right before we got amazing, you know, where we won the league in 2002 at Old Trafford, you know, the Henri and Bergkamp years with Perez and Youngberg. And, uh, and then we went undefeated, you know, two seasons later. So, I mean, that was just amazing. And what, what was sad 
<laughs> is I didn't know any gooners. So I would just be in my little shithole apartment watching the game. And I remember when Wiltor scored in the 55th minute to win that title at Old Trafford. I ran out my front door screaming. <laughs> and just like a dumb kid, you know what I mean? And I've got nothing. Nobody, you know? Yeah, I, uh, I had met my uh, friend Polly, who's from Dublin and a big... Uh, Arsenal fan as well, so at least I had someone I could start communicating with. And then there became more and more Arsenal fans that, that came around, and I think it had to do with finger success. And maybe I'll take a little bit of credit for the sake that, you know, you start getting into soccer and the only person you know is the singer of that punk band that likes that team a lot, you know. And uh, so maybe that helped. And So you've, yes. ne so you've never oh, actually ahead. been to a game, right? Yes, I have. You have um, actually been to a game. Okay. I got really lucky with this one, dude. It, it sounds like bullshit. Okay, this story sounds like bullshit, but it's totally true. Um, <laughs> okay, so, you know, we used to drink a lot at Arnie's Bar when it, you know, I guess before Kilkenny's opened and I lived on Cherry Street. So, you know, I just walk to my local now. But I used to go to Arnie's Bar a lot, and I would be down there, and Larkin played there a bunch at the time. And I was wearing an Arsenal polo, and there's this guy, uh, Roger, Roger Longshot. He's from London, but was working in Tulsa. And uh, we just, you know, we struck up a friendship. And I, I still will chat with him. I'll say hi to him every now and again still. And this was back in 2006, I think, or earlier before that. Anyway, and he, uh, it turned, and I had mentioned, you know, always wanting to go to a game. And he thought about it. And he actually, I was like, well, there's a West Brom game. I think I can go because it was the girl I was dating at the time. It was right around her birthday. And I thought, well, hell, I'm going to fly her to England for a week and all I want I get one day I want one day and that's to go to a match if I can go anyway and he's like wait I know somebody from West Brom I might be able to get you in that game you'll just be in the away end and I'm like I don't care I just want to go and then he was like wait a minute what am I thinking he used to play golf with Liam Brady oh wow yeah and uh for anyone that's listened to this that doesn't know Liam Brady is an Arsenal legend and an Irishman brilliant brilliant player great guy Anyway, so he sent an email to Liam, got me two excellent seats for nothing. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and uh, not only that, he gave me Liam Brady's phone number in case something went wrong, which I still have, <laughs> but I'm sure it doesn't work anymore. But I never, he's like, don't call him. Don't get drunk and call him. But he's like, but if something goes wrong, you've got the number and you can get a hold of him. But everything, everything worked out famously. And, you know, I had already, I was already familiar with Fever Pitch at the time you know, the book and the movie. So I did, you know, went to the Arsenal shops around beforehand, did the whole wayabouts, and then, you know, watched the game in the end, sang the songs about Spurs that we all hated, even though we weren't playing Spurs. So I got to see Henri, I got to see Burkamp, I got to see Perez, and, uh, you know, and we won 3-1 to one on the day. I'll never forget being there. So I was just, and it was, wow, the, it was the farewell season, and I still have my scarf from that season. And that's the next season they had moved to Emirates. We saw that being built, but we didn't actually... There wasn't, like, if there was tours, we were unaware of them at the time. So, yeah, I did get to go to that just that match, though. That was the only one. I am looking online to see if Liam Brady has a Twitter, but uh, it doesn't look like he does. So You know, I never met the dude. I didn't even talk to him, but I was lucky enough to have meet somebody here in Tulsa that had played golf with him, and it all just worked out famously. Um, I'm sure he's helped millions of people get tickets. <laughs> so I am, you know what I mean? I mean, if anyone that has a casual acquaintance that's met any ex-Arsenal player is probably trying to get tickets, as you should, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I, 
just one of many, and I will take it to my grave that that was, it was a wonderful experience. Met some great people along the way, and also you just had a good time in London. You know, it's a beautiful city. You've been yourself many trips to Ireland. What have you discovered yes. about yourself while you're there? <laughs> that, when it comes to certain things, I, I like a combination of high adventure and extreme laziness. Like, uh, I, I think I take literally that old adage that there's as much to see in a blade of grass as there is in a whole field, where I could go to parts of, like, sometimes I've gone to Dublin and I've stayed in one neighborhood the whole time and just went to a couple of pubs in my vegetarian restaurant, Cornucopia, that's just a bit off Grafton Street that I always go to. And I'm totally fine. And I uh, meet some great people and have a wonderful time. And then other times, I'll want to just, I'll just start walking and see different parts of the country. Like the first time I was there, I was backpacking for a couple of months, ended up in all kinds of random places, um, got thrown out of one or two as well, you know, like you do. But also I, when I set my mind on doing something, I kind of have to kick my own ass, but I can usually, I'll usually follow through. It takes for me a lot, it takes a lot for me to decide to do something, but when I do, I will do it. And also in situations like that, I realized that I don't like to put some things up for discussion. What I mean, though, is a lot of people ask me, like, when I went backpacking, and then when I go to Ireland, most of the time I'll go by myself, or possibly I'll meet a friend of mine that I went to high school with. That ha He's a dual citizen in Ireland, and, and we'll go out west where his family lives. And, but I, I, I generally want a lot of time to myself, because if I want to do something, I want to do it, and I don't want to have to ask permission of the person I'm with. You know what I mean? When I, especially when I was backpacking. I didn't want anybody to go, because if the wind was blowing west, and I felt like walking west... I didn't want to have to explain myself, and I didn't want to have to justify it. I would just start walking and just see where I end up. Sometimes that can be very isolated and lonely, but sometimes it can be fascinating and, uh, and wonderful. So there, there's definitely a lot of pros and cons with being that way. But You seem like you gravitate towards like British bands, British culture a lot. Um, I, I would a... say Irish, but we can say British. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm only kidding. Not to get in the British-Irish battle or anything. I, uh, very much both. If I think of most of the bands that I admire, obviously the, you know, the sport, you know, being the English League, which I spent all morning watching this morning, you know, like I said, with music and even uh, – History. I mean, I do know a lot of American history. I'm fascinated with labor history and whatnot. But uh, I also was very into Irish history, you know, both through prose and song. So, yeah, there, it, it's, it's one of those weird things, man. Something with Irish music and with Irish poetry and, and stories, just that the rich culture and the history always kind of spoke to me in a way. And I'm not sure was having a conversation with a friend of mine the other night at the bar, and uh, and we were talking about that, how we just both felt kind of a calling to it. You know, it's not strictly just family stuff. I mean, my, my father, you know, was from, I guess, I don't know, not very religious, but you would say the Irish Catholic side, you know, the Malone side, if you will. And But my mother my mother was born in Germany, you know, uh, as I believe to a Polish father. Um, that's all kind of screwy family history. But very German, and and I did enjoy Germany when I was there. But I didn't feel the same calling that I did to to Ireland and and of course to England. And and you know I look at a lot of my favorite bands and it you know music especially and it it would most of them a vast majority are going to be English, Irish, or European. Yes. You know there are some Americans obviously thrown in. I'm I'm a Tulsa boy even though I'm I'm not born here. And NOTA is still you know the greatest hardcore band that ever existed. And they're from right down the street, you know what I mean? And stuff like that. Sure, yeah, this was some, you know, Osrotten was fantastic. There were some great American bands. 
but really, you know, you look at my playlists and it's, you know, English and Irish mostly, you know, on my phone and all that. So, yeah. All right. Well, speaking of music, let's get into um, – now, I know this one for a fact because I've been to a concert with you. Let's talk about your <laughs> love of Iron Maiden. <laughs> Tattoos, everything. Let's talk about yeah, it. Yeah. Uh... Like I was saying earlier when I was just talking about getting into music, um, I, I guess I was lucky in the sense that, you know, when MTV came around, you know, they did just show videos. I get it. You know, you don't – there's no reason for them to do it now because everyone's got YouTube, and if you want to see something, you just pull it up. You know, why would you sit through three – which we, what we used to do. We used to sit through three hours of music television and watching videos for crap bands we didn't like, and then you get – then one just jumps out at you, and that, I remember – was Iron Maiden with the song Iron Maiden off the record, Iron Maiden. And I saw that right when the song started. And I was like, well, that's kind of weird. Um, you know, I'm like 11 at the time or something. I didn't know much about music. I mean, I knew I liked it. And then it, it, as soon as it went in, it's angry. You know, it's fast. It's pissed off. And then, you know, and it's Paul Diano. You know, he's got that gruff just... He didn't look like a rock star at all. He's just a dude, you know. And uh, as the English would say, he's just a lad down the pub, you know. And and then half at the end of the video, because it's a live video, Eddie comes out, you know. And you're just like, as an 11-year-old kid, it's the same way I got affected by an Arsenal pennant. I was like, holy shit, what is this? This is amazing. And it, it encompassed everything I felt about life at the moment, you know, as a just an angry kid that didn't feel like I, I fit in anywhere and associated with anything. You would think that would be punk rock, but in you know Broken Arrow, Oklahoma at the time, punk rock, while people had mentioned it and it existed, we didn't know what it was. You know, um, the Sex Pistols played here in 1978, but I, you know, I was eight. That had no bearing, no bearing on me. Is that the Kane's Ballroom? At the Kane's Ballroom, that's the, the, the legendary hole in the wall. The legendary hole in the wall, and I, I played the 30-year. Or 40-year anniversary to that. Actually, we we formed a uh, side project band called Sex Rifle, and we did a Sex Pistols cover show across from Circle Cinema, who showed like the Filth and the Fury that night to just to commemorate their 40-year gig at at Kane's. But anyway, so you know, I saw the Iron Maiden stuff, and and I just it, and then they started playing Ratchild, and they started playing more songs, and I was like, I don't know anything other than I absolutely love this so I was already obsessed with them before Bruce Dickinson even came around or at least before I knew he came around I'm not sure the exact timeline I mean I know he did 1982 number of the beast but in my mind that didn't exist yet and and then I saw run to the hills and it took me a while to adjust to Bruce of course then you learn to love him and you know that's a whole different thing because I was a kid and just and it just always stuck with me and it wasn't it wasn't just, I mean, the anger is, was great. You know, the anger and the passion and the intensity behind what they were doing certainly spoke to me on, on a level. But then, you know, as I get older, I became fascinated with what they were writing about, you know, and as I was saying earlier. And the more I dove into it, the more fascinated I got. And it, Iron Maiden is actually part of the reason I got really into literature. Hmm. Um, Murders in the Room Org, off the second record, Killers. Murders in the Room Org is a short story by Edgar Allan Poe. And it's a detective thing, and it ends up being a, an orangutan uh, trying to imitate a barber shaving, and he cuts people's heads off. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Does that um, predates uh, Sweeney Todd? Uh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I became more and more fascinated, and I realized they were writing about books and shit in history, and, and, and it, it became like this uh, interconnected 
love of the more I learned about you know, Iron Maiden, the more I got fascinated with literature and the more I learned about literature. And then I'd realize Maiden had referenced something similar about something, you know, and I would just, it would, it would just intertwine with itself. And, uh, and to this day, uh, you know, even the newer records, I love them dearly. And I, I, there's only a few records of theirs that I don't really listen to. They were trying to experiment a little bit during the grunge years like most bands and didn't know what to do with themselves and they came out with a couple of crap records they're forgivable i don't care i still love all of it you know and i've seen them seven times now and for someone in oklahoma i guess that you know i guess if you lived in california or new york you probably could see them like 50 right europe, but, uh, or europe i mean or you oh, especially if you were in england shit if i got to see if, if i got to see him at the hammersmith odeon you know back in like 1981 or something Oh, my God. You know, I've seen those videos. That would just have been amazing. At least it's not like your opinion on one of the greatest rock bands, in my opinion, ever, Led Zeppelin. I mean, I know how you feel about Led Zeppelin. You know, and I, I know I, I just, I mean, you know me personally. I talk shit on Led Zeppelin. But I, it's, it's really just, cer- I mean, to be, not to go off on a tangent, but it's really just certain moments with them. Basically, it boils down to the fact that I, I hate singers that make sex noises. I just hate it. I hate, I can't stand it. When Prince does it, I hate it. When Robert Plant does it, I hate it, and I can't listen to it. So, in, I, in my honest opinion, the breakdown version of Whole Lot of Love is the worst piece of rock and roll that was ever released. <laughs> you you hear to hear, folks. Hot takes. <laughs> I know it's brutal, and I, I'm not even saying I can sing. It's just something that I it, it affects me negatively, and it makes me cringe. Now, you give me songs like the Immigrant Song, man, I can rock that. You know, that's got a great riff and all that. I mean, Sirius XM um, a couple of months ago did a Led Zeppelin channel. Then it did a countdown of the 100 best uh, Led Zeppelin tunes. And the number one was obviously the, sh- I don't like Stairway to Heaven, but it's the most popular. But, num- oh, yeah. but number two is, in my opinion, probably maybe the top five greatest song ever written. And it's a cover of an old Mississippi blues song called When the Levee Breaks. When the Levee Breaks, yeah. It is that. it is an the drums, the 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 vocals, the harmonica, it is a perfect song. Right. And I'll and I'll fight I'll fight anybody who says otherwise. <laughs> yeah, for me it was uh it, it really boils down to moments in Robert Plant singing. I mean, it, the guy's got a good voice. I'm I'm not backing on that. It's his stylistic things that I just don't that don't work for me. But uh, speaking of musicians whose voices have not aged well, that's he's one of them. Oh yeah, if he, you know, you know when he was singing his solo stuff like Big Log and stuff like that, if he sings in that range, that works. That album he put out with Alison Krauss, it was like a country blues album. Right. He did that was some pretty really notable uh, great songs on the his vocals. Right. If you, you know, you like we were saying earlier, if you just know your wheelhouse and you're it, that's going to change as you get older. I mean, even Brian Johnson who I love ACDC. Mm-hmm. He's he openly admits, and and Getty Lee did this said this too. You know, I, I grew up, first concert I ever saw was Rush in Ooh, 1985. Nice. Um, and they both will say, you know, they they regret in a sense the pitch of which they sang the early stuff. That makes sense. I could I could totally understand that. You uh, know, yeah. but if you look back, part of the reason those records worked was because they sang like that. You know, and and then Getty Lee started to really kind of tone it down on Grace Under Pressure, and Brian Johnson, you know, he's kind of not. It's it's a a bit much to say it like this, but he kind of dug his own grave because that style totally worked. Back in Black, and for those about to rock, and I personally love Flick of the Switch and those early records that he did. Singing like that now, man, that's gotta kill him. 
My my first experience with Rush, I got to see the R30 concert, which opened at the BOK Center in Tulsa. Yeah, I didn't see that. I should have went, It but was for some in, reason I didn't. It was incredible. Okay, that concludes part one of our very in-depth interview with punk legend Chad Malone. Part two will be coming on Wednesday, November the 18th. And believe me when I say part two is even better than part one. Be sure to look for a copy of The Shame's Record Friendly on their website, theshame-shop.com, along with awesome t-shirts and other memorabilia. In the beginning of the show, we gave our listeners an update about our great friend, Stephen Alexander. We have an update about his current health in this audio clip. Well, hey there, everybody. Uh, I'm coming to you live from the ICU at Upstate and my kidney transplant was a success. It works. I'm making urine. <laughs> I am a little groggy and a little sore, but all things considered, not too bad. I can't believe this actually happened. Uh, I was doing dialysis yesterday. I just want to thank everybody for all the support. I mean, seriously, the, uh, the outpouring of... Uh, Love and support I got yesterday was amazing. It was it was a roller coaster. It, it just turns out that I, I know so many quality people in my life. And I'm thankful for that. And I hope that I can stay happy and healthy for a lot of years to come. Words fail to capture the raw emotion all of us are feeling at the moment about this incredible news. We cannot wait to have Stephen on in a later show to discuss his transplant and his future goals. A few housekeeping things before we sign off. Pet shops spring up all over the world. We as animal lovers must unite together to stop the selling of animals from mills. Thousands of dogs and cats are euthanized every day. Rescue a dog or cat. You have no idea just how grateful the animal is to know that he or she is loved and their love will be returned unconditionally. From all of us at the Dare Duvall Show, we cannot wait to hear your feedback. Leave us a review and tell your friends as word of mouth is vital to the sustainability of our show. Remember, you get out of democracy what you put into it. Learn to love your neighbor even when your ideologies do not align. See you in two weeks, planet Earth. This has been a recording of the Derek Duvall Show, and we thank you for listening. Please follow us on social media to stay up to date on releases and important news. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Derek Duvall Show and use the hashtag I'm with DD.